The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Mental Health, Hope and Recovery. I'm Helen Sneed. And I'm Valerie Milburn. We both have fought and overcome severe chronic mental illnesses. Our podcast offers a unique approach to mental health conditions. We use practical skills and inspirational stories of recovery. Together, Helen and I represent several decades of struggle, which makes us uniquely qualified to talk about many aspects of psychiatric diagnoses and treatment. Our knowledge is up close and personal. As we travel together in this podcast, we will delve into subjects such as depression and anxiety, personality disorders, eating and substance use disorders, and dual diagnoses. We will discuss the tough topics such as self-harm and suicide. Other segments will examine the impact of the pandemic and the economic downturn. We are action-oriented. We focus on treatment options, coping skills, goal-setting, relationships, and mindfulness. We hope to support you into recovery or support you as you support others. But remember, we are not a substitute for qualified counseling or any other mental health resources. Helen and I are your peers. We're not doctors, therapists, or social workers. We're not professionals, but we are experts. We are experts through our own lived experience with multiple mental health diagnoses and symptoms. Please join us on our journey. We live in recovery. So can you. I'm excited about today's topic, Helen. It's the first in our series of episodes on relationships. And today, we are discussing healthy and unhealthy relationships and how those have changed for us in our recovery. We're also going to identify who our supporters and cheerleaders are and those who have supported us into recovery, those who support us as we continue our lives in recovery. You know, I didn't get through my crisis or out of my crisis by myself. And I don't stay mentally and emotionally healthy or clean and sober by myself. As we delve into healthy relationships today, I have a definition and a quote I want to share. The definition is mine, the one I gave in our inaugural episode when we discussed the concepts and the definition of recovery. And I define recovery as having a healthy and loving relationship with myself from which all else healthy and loving flows. And you know, a healthy and loving relationship with ourselves is also the basis of all healthy relationships. 
the healthy relationships we're going to talk about today. And the quote I want to share is from Dinkar Kalotra. She said, A healthy relationship will never require you to sacrifice your friends, your dreams, or your dignity. Valerie, I think that is a really all encompassing definition of a healthy relationship. I like it very much. Um, I'm going to quote Oprah Winfrey, who said, Lots of people want to ride with you in the limo, but what you want is someone who will take the bus with you when the limo breaks down. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I know. She's, it's great. So here are some elements of a healthy relationship, bearing in mind that there's no perfection and no one person can be all things to another. First of all is trust. You can count on this person. Wow, trust is a big one. And when I was in my crisis and really symptomatic with my mental health condition, I couldn't be trusted. I couldn't keep up my end of a healthy relationship in that respect, in the respect of trust. Not when I was drinking and drugging. I just flat out wasn't trustworthy. Now I keep my word fulfill my commitments. I've shown up clean and sober for the people in my life for 21 years. I I think it's a pretty terrible situation in life to be where you can't trust yourself. I think it's hard enough to, to deal with trusting other people. I could not be counted on. I flaked on everybody. I missed weddings, funerals, anniversaries, all life events because I was just too insecure and frankly too sick to make myself go. Uh, and it wasn't until I started fulfilling those social obligations that I began to see I was trustworthy. Now, next is respect. You think highly of each other. Now, this was, a, again, I had, a, I had to start from scratch on this one because I did not respect myself. But I came to see that other people respected me in spite of everything. And that helped me get on the road to, to self-respect, which I'm pretty good about today. Acceptance. You accept each other for the person you are, not some idealized human being. That was also an important one for me because I wasn't realistic in my marriage about accepting my husband for the normal person he is. I expected my husband to be all things to me, and he's just human. One day he actually said to me, I can't be everything to you. And boy, did that make me angry. But However, as I got healthier, I began to understand this. As I got healthier, I was able to slowly build a support system. And we're going to talk about support systems today. I realized that different people in my life play different roles for me. Each person in my life, you know, each person has a unique relationship with me and their love and support it's different for me. Now I know that my husband is so many, many wonderful and amazing things to me. And he is the most important person in my life, but he's not everything to me. That would be unrealistic and it would be unhealthy. Well, it must take a big burden off of him for you to know that. Yes. This kind of leads to the next point, which is uh, safety, sharing, and support. You can share laughter and tears without judgment. You support each other emotionally uh, and in your goals. This person has your back. Next is honesty and truthfulness, which we've almost kind of touched on. You are straightforward and truthful in the relationship. 
Yeah, that wasn't me either. When I was sneaking around to buy liquor and drugs, to drink and do drugs, juggling finance, family finances to hide expenses for my addiction, lying about where I was, all that is over. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Um, I also, I lied all the time uh, because, uh, as I said earlier, I didn't want people to know about me, really. I was just fat with secrets and they were festering. And when I began to see that you can be straightforward with other people, then that that gave me the uh, the wherewithal to start trying out the truth. And it turned out to be all right. Then there's equality. Where there's balance. No one dominates the other or becomes engulfed in the other's identity. I have a funny story about that. When my daughter was about five years old, she asked me and my husband, her dad, who's the boss of this family? (laughs) (laughs) We told her we were partner bosses. She just nonchalantly said, okay. She just wanted to know. And that sums up our relationship. We've always been partners. Well, if you can, if you can make a five-year-old understand, it must be pretty self-evident. Well, and this leads to another one, which is companionship. You may have shared interest, principles, sense of humor, or fun. Yeah, I don't think my husband and I laughed much during the five years of my psychiatric crisis. But now we find ourselves laughing and joking even a year into the pandemic. We've enjoyed each other this past year, and we've gotten through this pandemic together and been grateful for for each other. And you know what? (laughs) I have to say that surprised me a bit. Well, you never know when you're cooped up with one other person how it's going to turn out. So I'm glad that yours has been beneficent. Um, What I think about companionship is back in the very dark days, I knew that I was missing a shared life, you know, and I would say to my doctor, because I didn't see any other human beings, I would say, you know, I'm just the sound of one hand clapping. It was a life in a, you know, with, with no one reflecting me back to myself or my reflecting them. And so what I also realized is that once you do get back and start trying relationships again, there's something that I had forgotten about, and that is fun, that life can be fun. It had had been a long time. And the more I was with people and relaxed, the more fun I had. Um, Good communications. This is last, but really not least. You are thoughtful and truthful in the relationship. You can speak and listen well. It's always a two-way street. And you can learn to state your needs to the other person. It took me years into recovery to find the ability to say these four important phrases. I think, I feel, I want, I need. For one thing, my emotions were so numbed out by drugs and alcohol, I, I couldn't identify them to be able to communicate them. And... I was so symptomatic in my mental illness. I was just focused on my own survival and daily existence. I I didn't have the bandwidth to work on communicating with another person. Well, the thing that was a big obstacle for me, uh, something we haven't mentioned yet, is shame. I find it um, just uh, uh, crippling in a way. And I um, was was simply uh, just too ashamed of myself. Really, I didn't even want to be seen by another human being, much less communicate with one. 
But when I began to tell my story in front of audiences, you know, the truth about myself for the first time, the shame began to lift. And it's not gone, you know, but I, I can feel it sometimes still. But it's just been a miracle to have it so diminished in my life. Yes, sharing our stories. You and I have done that together and so many times. And sharing my story, my true self led to true acceptance of myself. Yeah, at, at, at long last. So what we've described are some of the wonderful aspects of human relationship. because. One relationship, just one other person, can be transformative in your path to recovery and in in your life itself. Forster said, connect, only connect. And Helen Keller put it wonderfully. She said, the best and most beautiful things in life cannot be seen or even heard, but must be felt with the heart. Such a beautiful quote. So those are some signs of healthy relationships. And now we want to look at some signs of unhealthy relationships. And it's important to know that there's no such thing as a perfect relationship. Shakespeare said the course of true love never did run smooth. But we can become involved in an unhealthy relationship, sometimes without even knowing it. And I have had to learn who is gold and who is simply gold-plated. I have had to pay close attention to people who don't clap when I win. Helen, can you go through some indicators of a relationship that may be in trouble? Yes, I can, because I think this is very important about what we're talking about today. Um, So here's some signs of an unhealthy relationship. The first one is, is it abusive? If there's a potential for physical or verbal abuse, I think you need to get out or get help because this can be very, very dangerous for you. And if you feel the violence within yourself, it's you, you both, you need to get help. And uh, so that would, that would be my, uh, my advice on, on abusive. I think it's hard to negotiate on that one. Right. Um, Unhealthy habits. This is where one person is pulling the other back into whether it's into addictions or gambling or shoplifting or, you know, just just any any bad habit that you've tried to, you know, overcome in order to move forward in life. I have had to do this myself. Um, when I got out of one of the hospitals I was in, I had some wonderful friendships, but two of them uh, I, I had to end because one was person was self-injuring, which was something I was fighting against. And the other one had anorexia and she was you know, starving yourself. And it broke my heart because I really love these people, but I I couldn't see them anymore. Many Um, of my relationships in college were based uh, on drugs and that was extremely unhealthy. And I had to break off those relationships. Yeah. And and it's, it's not easy. Some of sometimes it's easy, but it's, it can also be hard if you really care for the person. Now here's one. Are you afraid to disagree Now, I'm one of those people that I would sacrifice myself for peace. I I was so afraid of conflict and of disagreement because I was a thought that the person would become, you know, angry and enraged or ridicule me or worst of all, abandon me. Uh, So I have learned to do it now in life. I kind of learned it through having jobs where, you know, you have to stand up for things and disagree in the workplace. And what I found is I have to write it down on paper. And then I can go in and and, uh, and disagree with the best of them. Loss of identity. 
This is where there are no boundaries, privacy, one person is consumed by the other, or you change who you are to please the other person. Now, for me, uh, this is kind of embarrassing, but this is especially true for me, has been in romantic relationships, because for me, it became all about the guy, you know, and I just would become this like terribly, you know, frankly, kind of witty uh, handmaiden. Um, uh, but now I'm in a great relationship and have been for years. And uh, I have a very strong sense of identity within the relationship, which is uh, uh, terrific. Lack of respect. This is a big one. There's no respect for others' friends, family, goals. <clears throat> There's no respect for you. Then control issues. One tries to control the other person's life. There is no room for independent action or balance. It's inequality. One person has too much power over the other. And I think the older I've gotten, the more I've seen how important and how pervasive power is in our lives. And if you're in a situation where one person has too much power over you, it can become really destructive. And then finally, exploitation. This is when one person hits up the other for money, for favors. You know, um, can you pick up to run errands for me? Can I borrow your car for a week? And you get you can really get taken advantage of and it puts an un, undue pressure on because, again, it strips it away of some of the equality. And so this is something that I, I think that you might want to look into if you've got someone who's pulling you into that kind of behavior. Now, sometimes healthy issues can be resolved. And sometimes you need to end the relationship altogether. Nina Simone put it well. She said, you have to learn to get up from the table when love is no longer being served. A great quote. Yeah. So I hope that you've gained some insight into the joys and challenges of cultivating healthy relationships in your life. Because the fulfillment of a shared life is unlike anything else I've ever known in terms of, of just how, how great and how satisfying and how exciting it can be. And of all people, Albert Camus put it really well. He said, don't walk in front of me, I may not follow. Don't walk behind me, I may not lead. Just walk beside me and be my friend. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. That's such a popular quote. I've seen it so many times and a lot of people don't know who said it. And now we've given the. Which is kind of, it is, it is wonderful coming from him, but a bit of a shock. But anyway, um, then we're now going to move into Valerie's territory, which is support systems. And, you know, she's going to answer this, but, you know, the question is, so what exactly is a support system? And what I think for most people in life is a sense of a belonging can be essential. And I think it's very important to your recovery process because as we know, loneliness can be deadly and the right support group or community can give you a place to be comforted or appreciated or heard 
and also a place where you'll be accepted for who you are. Uh, Jane Howard said, call it a clan, call it a network, call it a tribe, call it a family. Whoever you are, you need one. That really sums it up. Um, can be a clan, a network, a tribe, a family. We all need a system of support. And the best way to describe it is to talk about what can make up a support system. I call them supporters and cheerleaders. And the first one, and not everyone has this kind of support, but it can be your family members. For me, other than my husband, one of my biggest supporters and cheerleaders is my sister. I have several, but one in particular just got me through my crisis. And it's changed so much from what it was during the crisis to now what our relationship is. I probably didn't ask her how she was doing for five years, but now we have a mutual support system. And she was so there for me. Family can be the backbone of recovery, but not always. The second kind of support system can be a romantic or intimate relationship. For me, that intimate relationship is my 12-step sponsor. We've been together for 21 years. She helps me look at my issues in a way that no one else in my support system does. She's been there for me since my early sobriety and is still with me, guiding me spiritually and through the 12 steps. Another aspect of a support system is close friends. I have so many. I have three from college. We're still friends. I guess it would be 42 years later. Just gave away my age. (laughs) And then another example is Helen, you and me. We have been friends now for, I want to say, eight years We started as volunteers with NAMI Central Texas, doing a training together, and now look at us. We walk each other through uh, all sorts of struggles. We have fun together. We check on each other. I learned through another podcast to not ask people, how are you? But to to say, how's your mental health today? I'll ask ask you, Helen, how's your mental health today? And we'll have a real conversation about how we're doing. Well, I think also with our friendship, you know, you look back and it was, again, for me to be able to reveal some vulnerability to you which I had never had the, I always thought I had to put like this very impeccable front to the world. But when we were beginning to tell our stories, I, the first time I did it, I had an out-of-body experience. I watched myself from the ceiling tell, <laughs> tell the story of my illnesses. Um, but I could turn to you, and I think you turned to me, and we yes. kind of helped each other evolve into telling the stories that I think are pretty effective when we do it. And so I'm forever in your debt for that, but also... Um, I just am so happy that we're friends. It means it just means everything. It is a wonderful friendship. Another aspect of our support system can be our doctors, therapists, social workers, and other types of support services. My psychiatrist has been with me through my entire journey. He has been my psychiatrist for 28 years, and he's going to be our guest on our next uh, episode. Then his support for me was through, back during my crisis, his support was focused on my survival, just getting me through whatever the 
daily crisis, the weekly crisis was. Now, in my recovery, we focus on the positive, ongoing growth, overall wellness. But as I go in and out of uh, the daily, weekly, the ups and downs of recovery, he and I do increase therapy if I hit a rough spot, as the ups and downs do indeed happen in recovery. Well, I have had so many doctors and therapists and social workers and support services that I couldn't list them all if, if you, you know, if you paid me. But what I do know is that in these relationships, if, since we're looking at support systems and relationships today, I made didn't really make progress until I had enough self-confidence to choose the right doctors and to know that I was with the right person. And this took, it took a lot of doing, but boy, does it make a difference. True. Another aspect of a support group, a support system can be support groups. For me, my biggest support group is Alcoholics Anonymous. And another was Dual Recovery Anonymous, which is a 12-step group that focuses on dual diagnosis, which is a mental health condition and a substance use disorder. I think that, you know, you're talking about AA, and I'm always saying that group therapy is where I learn the most because everyone in the room gets it, which is true of AA as well. And I can't stress how important I think it is to have that common ground when you're up against extraordinary circumstances that not everyone gets because, you know, they just might be more fortunate in life and not had these issues. Uh, so group therapy is always where I've gotten the most support and wisdom and, and humor. Uh, and I, uh, I, I don't think I would be here today without it. Another component can be our neighbors, a neighbor just to pick up your packages that get delivered, that kind of support. Or I'm sure most everybody has heard about the recent freak storm that hit Texas. And my neighbor is 80 years old, and she called us during the storm just to see how we were doing. And we called our other older, elderly neighbors across the street to check on them. Our neighbors can be a big support system. Another one is coworkers. I had a very challenging time a couple of years into sobriety. I was walking down the hall at the high school where I was teaching. And I was crying. One of my coworkers with whom I had had very little contact saw me. She took my hand, brought me into the faculty bathroom, and I blurted out, I have bipolar disorder and three years of sobriety. I'm having a breakdown. She took my hand, looked me in the eye and said, today is my son's one year sobriety birthday. And I knew she got it. We connected. She got me through the rest of the day in the workplace. Yeah, I, um, I've been lucky. I've had such a great work opportunities and, and stuff, but I have made some wonderful friends in the workplace. And the only thing that I would say um, is just to be a little bit cautious about uh, office politics, because if you get sort of too thickly involved in that and the friendship gets sort of enmeshed in it, it can, it can become a little, uh, a little sticky. So I'm, I think discretion can sometimes be good. <laughs> Yes, discretion is also good for me about um, sharing my mental health conditions at work. And we will probably do an entire episode on that at some point. <laughs> it will come up. Another 
area is interest groups. And I know, Helen, you had one you were going to talk about. Yeah, I am. uh, Again, I was a New Yorker for 40 years and my field is a theater. So, of course, with the pandemic, it is absolutely shut down and we don't know when people will fill theaters again. So it's it's been a very, very distressing time. Uh, But I'm uh, on the board of a group of about 150 playwrights. And it means everything to me to be immersed in people with the same passion and the same concerns and, and, and to just be able to say, I'm really having a hard time writing right now. What are you doing about it? Uh, so it's, <clears throat> it means everything right now. And one more component of a support system could be a faith-based group. And this is a very important part of many people's lives and is a very individual path. So those are the components of support groups, and I'm going to run through them one more time just to give people a good example. Uh, family, romantic and intimate relationships, close friends, doctors, therapists, social workers, and other support services. Support groups, neighbors, coworkers, interest groups, faith-based groups. That's just to give everybody some ideas about how to build a support system. Well, there, it's, uh, it's great advice. And um, now um, I'm going to segue into one of my most favorite activities in our episodes each, uh, each time, which uh, Valerie is uh, an authority on mindfulness. And uh, she is going to lead us uh, every episode in, an, in an, an, uh, an exercise, a mindfulness exercise. People say, well, so if you don't know what mindfulness is, um, I just say it's a centuries-old practice of managing your thoughts. But Valerie's the expert, so I'm turning it over to her. Well, I love being called an expert and an authority on anything, but particularly on mindfulness as it plays such an important role in my life. And we do close each episode with this mindfulness-type exercise. And one definition of mindfulness is the quality or state of being conscious or aware of something. And I thought since we've been talking about relationships today, we could have a mindfulness exercise focused on someone we have a relationship with in our life, someone who has a supportive, positive role in our life. We're going to become fully conscious of someone important to us, someone who supports us, again, who plays a positive role in our life. So let's get mindful. Think of someone in your life that you rely on or respect. It could be a friend, your spouse, a parent, a sibling, your sponsor, a coworker, someone who supports you and has a positive impact on your life. We're going to focus intensely on that person's face. If your circumstances or situation don't allow you to fully participate in this exercise, Try to remember the spirit of the exercise and give it a go later on, on your own. So imagine that person's face. Be observant, but not critical. Focus on his or her eyes. What color are his or her eyes? Is he or she wearing glasses? Is the skin around the eyes smooth or lined? 
Does he or she look tired or rested? Be observant, but not critical. If you become distracted, gently pull your mind away from those thoughts and focus again on the image of the face, the image in your mind. Now move your gaze wider. What shape is his or her nose? Is it flat, wide, turned up at the end? Be observant, but not critical. Again, pull your mind away from any distracting thoughts. Look at his or her lips. What shape are the lips? Bow-shaped upper lip? Full bottom lip? Are they pale or rosy? Now move your gaze even wider. What color is his or her hair? Is it straight or curly? Is it loose and disheveled or neat and trimmed? Look intently at this important person's face. Be observant, but not critical. Be mindful of everything about this person's face. Thank this person for being in your life. Try to remember this person in trying times. Thank you, Valerie. Um, I find that exercise very moving. It makes me want to uh, sort of to cry, I guess, with gratitude or love or something. So we want to thank you for joining us for episode three. As you continue to pursue relationships and support groups, don't forget that you're making a heroic effort. For people with a mental health condition, it can be hard work to reach out to others. So try to see the rare and valuable person you are. Having the courage to be with other people is a major reason to respect yourself. As Bob Marley said, you never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. We hope you won't miss episode four, Therapeutic Relationships. Valerie and I will be joined by her psychiatrist of 20 years, Dr. Trey Allier. It will be a unique opportunity to discuss the bedrock relationship of many of us who are on the path to recovery. Also medication, other treatment options, and how to have the most productive therapeutic relationship possible. We are really excited about this. Really looking forward to that episode. And I want to thank the listeners. Thank you very much for being with us today. Helen and I are honored that you have joined us. And I leave you with our favorite word, onward. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.